Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Brian Crumby Radio Hour, Saga 960. Alex Vesna, CEO of Prepared Canada, has been a guest on my show. He's uh, an emergency preparedness expert. He's obviously uh, very up on everything in regards to COVID-19. And uh, there's two pieces of information, probably a lot more, but two pieces of, uh, of news that have come out in the last uh, a couple of days that I thought it would be really helpful to check in with Alex on, and that is the Great Reset. What is it and how is it going to impact us? And potentials for curfews. Um, Alex, what is this uh, issue about uh, potential curfews in Quebec and Ontario? Can you tell us what's going on? Okay. Well, uh, Quebec uh, is, is in effect basically in a curfew now. Right now, uh, the news is uh, debating and the country is debating as to how they're going to be able to enforce it. Uh, the, the idea being that if you uh, don't restrict people from going outside their homes or restrict people from being out and about, uh, specifically consumers, uh, after eight o'clock and before uh, 10 a.m. or any window sort of like that where you just can't be out at night, um, then people aren't going to parties and people aren't uh, doing the nightlife behavior that spreads COVID. So that's 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 basically what's, uh, what, what's going on. Uh, there's also a conversation as to, even though it's being done with a lockdown, if uh, a curfew was done, in, done instead of a lockdown, um, it would allow businesses to be open during the daytime and would restri- restrict a lot of the private party spread. So there's... There's some discussion as to um, the the merit and the efficacy of, of a curfew, um, and then there is some uh, just general discussion um, around whether it's possible to enforce or if people will listen because you know COVID fatigue. It's been many months and people just are fed up. So whether or not they'll follow it at all. So that's that's kind of a summary. Of what's so happening let's, with uh, right let's talk about number one. Do you think it's called for? And number two, do you think it's a good idea? Um, whether or not I think it's called for depends on uh, uh, answering uh, several questions we've had on previous talks about um, whether this is far enough. Uh, I am generally of the opinion that unless you're going to go to the point where people actually listen, then a lot of these measures end up being counterproductive because the rebellion against the measures ends up causing greater spread than not putting the measures in at all. So it depends. Um, yeah, it, it depends. It really, it really, really does. So is it called for? It depends. Um, we can explore that one greater, in greater detail if you wish. Okay. And so I guess what you're saying is that uh, from a public health standpoint, it would be helpful. If not, frankly, you're saying that we need even more stringent uh, uh, controls, but you don't think it's going to uh, be accepted and followed. No. So it's only helpful from a public health perspective if it's done in such a way where people follow it. If it is not followed. And in fact, if it causes greater um, 
frustration among the public, the, the, what ends up occurring is people behave more erratically than if they didn't make the order at all. So public disobedience has a negative impact on the pandemic response. So you're saying so you have, because you it to might go too far, then people are willing to accept it actually is counterproductive. So yeah, basically, if they're not, if they're not, if they don't go far enough, especially on the enforcement side or with the changing hearts and minds side, to have people actually accept it and follow it, then it's counterproductive. You can but the put enforcement any side. Like, you know, I've seen videotapes, and you've probably seen them too on social media, where you know police were uh, in Quebec supposedly coming into people's houses and yanking people out that were from a different home. Is mm -hmm. that what we want? Potentially not, but it, once again, we have a virus that is spreading pre-symptomatic, this infectious, this much worse than everything else we've seen before. We're either going to do what is necessary to stop it, or if we're not going to change the hearts and minds the way that is required, and if people are going to rebel against the government and spread faster because there's something to rebel against, you don't give some, them something to rebel against. That, I mean, we, in our last conversation, we talked about this when comparing the Japan, Sweden, and American models. And like, it, you, you need to make sure that if you put something in place that you either draconianly enforce it to where it is forced that they follow it, or you make people agree with it to the point where they follow it, or it becomes counterproductive and, it's, and you don't put it in place at all because even though you think it's going to reduce spread, it ends up increasing spread because okay, people so get mad. Than anyone I've met, what's your assessment? Is it Sorry? Would it go too far? Sorry, would it go too far? Is the question? Yeah, uh, you're if you're in head of you're the premier. What would you do? Would you put in place a curfew, or would you not? Because you think it's going to go too far, people aren't going to accept it, are going to rebel, and you're going to be worse off. Given so, the reality is that we haven't declared a national emergency, and I'm not dodging the question here, just so you can understand the context. The reality is that we haven't declared a national emergency. Because we haven't declared a national emergency, you cannot augment the police force with the military the way you would need to to enforce this. So in effect, it becomes impossible. We are also almost basically a year into the uh, response measures to the pandemic. People are beyond tired, so they're not listening anymore. For that reason, you basically can't put any restrictions that cause people to rebel in place anymore. You, uh, you basically be forced to lift lockdown because you're not resourced, let alone putting in a curfew. It's completely counterproductive. So no, if I was the premier hypothetical, I would not be putting in a curfew and frankly would and this position wouldn't be in a lockdown because it's having the opposite effect. People are pissed off, so they're gathering more, which is cr increasing spread faster. It's counterproductive from a public health perspective, which is very irritating. You, we, we don't have the resources to enforce it because we, we're legally tied because the Emergencies Act is not in play, which frankly isn't a provincial call. So you think the prime minister is the one at fault because he should be he should put in rough. Place I mean, emergency measures? Okay, well, here's the question, right? Would you say that we're in a national emergency? Yes. Why isn't our Emergencies Act enacted then? I don't know. Why isn't it? Because I thought it was primarily about war. Uh, well, no, Emergencies Act covers everything. Okay. Just, just because it's the Spiritual Successors of the War Measures Act doesn't mean it's only about war. Um, I mean, by all means, uh, anyone can Google this and read it. The Emergencies Act has many, 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 many different sections, and only one of them is really about war. So it, when you're in uh, a, I, you know, frankly, if this wasn't an emergency, I don't know what is. Well, that's kind of the point. And, and you know, it, here's the other thing. A lot of people get very... 
And if, I mean, I understand why, especially depending on what country you come from um, or what country's history you study. Um, the military can be a very scary thing. Uh, the reality is that the Canadian military is by and large not a combat force. It's a help civilian force in some capacity. We have huge disaster units. We have huge amounts of training in helping people um, in non-human based crises with earthquakes and floods and et cetera. And they're very good at logistics. And in many ways, their hands are tied because federal legislation isn't opening the, the, the floodgates of letting them do what they need to do. But, so, but what you, know, you see and what I don't think people would uh, abide uh, for in Canada is military patrolling down our streets and arresting people if they walk out of their house after eight o'clock at night. Okay, then the virus spreads. Accept it. Accept it. That's the problem. When, at some point, you get a threat that is so severe, you get forced into a, 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 a one or two extreme choice decision. And the middle ground pisses people off and gives you the worst of both worlds, which is something we've talked about at length. We're chatting tonight with Alex Vesna, CEO of Prepared Canada, and um, this is an interesting discussion. Do we go for the uh, imposition of the uh, War Measures Act, bring out the army, put in a curfew, and lock us all down in a way like we've never seen before, um, probably since the October crisis in Quebec in uh, the early 1970s? Or do we let it spread and let more people be infected and let more people die? Alex Vesna. We're going to take a break and come back in just a minute. And we're going to talk about the Great Reset. Stay with us. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on saga960am.ca. Back to the Brian Crombie Radio. We're chatting tonight with uh, Alex Vesna, CEO of Prepared Canada. Alex is a emergency preparedness expert. He's uh, been advising companies, uh, organizations, etc., on uh, lots of emergencies uh, previously, but uh, obviously in the last couple of months, uh, primarily on COVID-19. And uh, he's been uh, a frequent uh, columnist in the Toronto Sun. Uh, he's been a, a guest on my show a few times, really educating us on a bunch of different um, issues in regards to COVID-19, emergency preparedness, uh, how we react uh, different countries and how they've reacted, uh, infection rates, mortality rates, uh, et cetera. Uh, and he, by the way, just corrected me during our break that I mentioned the emergency uh, War Measures Act. Um, uh, that wasn't. That is not the current bill. It's now the Emergencies Act, which is the successor to uh, the War Measures Act. But Alex, I think it does sort of the same thing, right? It it it, it gives the federal government the right to state a emergency and bring in the army and a lot of other measures that allow it to act in a far more authoritarian manner than we would have in a typical uh, a typical time period. Correct? Uh, yes, there are there were a few uh, significant differences in it, which are fairly legal and technical, which um, we could probably frankly do our own 40 minute conversation on, which you'd be very interested in. But in, 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 in general, yes, it's the same idea. Okay, so the other topic I wanted to talk to you about, uh, which, um, you know, I hear people uh, talking about uh, Davos and, uh, and, uh, and the World Economic Forum and uh, progressives and what's going on with something called the Great Reset. What is the Great Reset? Okay, the Great Reset is a bunch of different things depending on who you ask. So uh, a lot of the Great Reset, frankly, is founded in uh, disaster and emergency management theory 
and in, uh, in, in really, really my field's goals. Uh, you hear a lot of uh, build back better. You hear a lot of risk mitigation, how you'd want to prevent something from occurring or you'd want to uh, lessen the impact of something rather than pay for it after the fact. Um, there's a lot of that, but depending on who you talk to, it ends up becoming a bit of a catch-all for um, the uh, ideal utopian world state where we, where we cure poverty. Um, it's, 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 it's many different things, but there are some core tenets that are, that are common uh, um, threads among them, and they're usually things that are grounded in disaster management theory. Okay, so that's so a general overview. Um, Prince Charles in, uh, in June uh, was part of an announcement of the Great Reset um, with uh, Klaus Schwab, um, and uh, they said that uh, it's an opportunity to emerge from a crisis, a better world. Um, and, uh, and, and what he says is it's a best chance to instigate stakeholders. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Capitalism. Stakeholder capitalism. What's that? Um, I don't really want to focus on the economic capitalist side as much because it's it's open to interpretation. Depending on who talks about the Great, great Reset, we, we can go into theories that talk more about uh, stakeholder capitalist um, situations where you basically vote with your wallet or where the uh, individuals are empowered to impact their capitalist system. Um, for example, uh, poor people uh, tend to not have much power um, in, in terms of influencing their government in a lot of capitalist societies. Uh, they tend to uh, have some element of power with their vote um, every election cycle, but after that, they're not really able to influence uh, their government or policy because they just don't have the economic capability to. So uh, a large part of that is the ability to uh, empower people who don't have the ability to influence their market with the ability to influence their market. So that's one part of it. There's other elements of the Great Reset that come from people who come from more um, collectivist societies or and from people who have uh, conspiracy theory leanings that talk a more about a more communist system instead of a capitalist system. There's a whole bunch of different economic versions of the Great Reset, um, which are widely debated and- Okay, 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 hold it. Let me just right? let me just read so, for a second the yeah. announcement from June. Okay, sure. this came from the World Economic Forum. Prince Charles uh, was part of the announcement. The Great Reset agenda would have three main components. The first would steer the market toward fairer outcomes. To this end, governments should improve coordination, for example, in tax, regulatory, and fiscal policy, upgrade trade arrangements, and create the conditions for a stakeholder economy. At the time of diminishing tax bases and soaring public debt, governments have a powerful incentive to per pursue such action. The second component of a Great Reset agenda would ensure that investments advance shared goals such equality and sustainability. 
Here, the large scale spending programs that many governments are implementing represent a major opportunity uh, for progress. The third and final priority of the Great Reset Agenda is to harness the innovations of the fourth industrial revolution to support the public good, especially by addressing health and social challenges. During the COVID-19 crisis, companies, universities, and others have joined forces to develop diagnostics, therapeutics, and possible vaccines, establish testing centers, create mechanisms for tracing infections, and deliver telemedicine. Imagine what could be possible if similar concerted efforts were made in every sector. This sounds like a pretty progressive agenda. It is. However, the problem is that isn't the how you're doing it part. And the economic side of that, for example, would necessitate some level of very aggressive um, universal basic income or guaranteed annual income, where you would be essentially empowering the have-nots with the power to vote with their wallet. You would have to do that. Otherwise, it wouldn't really um, have the effect they're looking for. And the rest of that is basically overhauling infrastructure where whenever something fails, we build it better instead of building it the same. And that type of ideology has been a core tenant, frankly, um, in disaster management theory for decades. Like my industry has been talking about this for a very, very long time. My industry was talking about the economic side of this, um, frankly, um, since earlier then, but as a good example, uh, the, the information from the Baltimore drug trade was coming out. So the World Economic Forum has its big uh, conference. I guess this year it's going to happen primarily virtually in Davos, 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 Switzerland, starting in uh, about two weeks, I think it is. Uh, and clearly, uh, some people want this to be the agenda and, uh, and have it set the agenda for governments. What do you think? Um, what do I think about... Uh, the Great Reset and having it be yeah, the agenda for governments maybe, starting maybe, in... I'm going to just kind of give everyone some context for how I'm going to answer this question. What do I think about an agenda that is underlined by core tenants that my entire industry believes in, uh, basically, being front and center uh, with, with, with uh, meetings between multiple governments in the world? Uh, so what do I think about basically my, my industry's agenda being front yeah, but it's and not center? Just, Come it's on. just not, it's like, not just public health. It's as we talked about, you know, economic, it's public systemic health. systemic overhaul for risk reduction. Like, come on, what do you think my opinion is going to be on, on my industry getting 50% at least of everything it wants? Like, come on. Like, uh, you know, just, I'm just, I'm just, you know. So people that are talking about this being an advance of socialism or communism um, and, uh, and a far different economic uh, structure. You say it's good because public health is going to get the resources it needs. My Both industry just wants to see less people die, right? Like here, here's an example. So Hurricane Katrina, you're I'm sure you're familiar. I'm, I'm, I'm using a large reference so that um, more, more people will be familiar with it. I mean, depending on uh, the age of the listeners, um, maybe they aren't, but I assume most people are familiar with Hurricane Katrina. I, yeah. You are, yes, Brian? Yes, yes. Okay, of course. So um, Hurricane Katrina, the levees broke. When the Army Corps of Engineers came in to repair the levees in the United States, they repaired them to the state they were in before they broke. Do you know why they didn't improve them? No. Because they're, they were barred from spending money on a state resource other than bringing it back to what it was previously. They actually aren't allowed to improve it because they're not allowed to spend the money necessary to improve it because it's unfair service to a, or unfair treatment of a specific state. So be, they weren't actually allowed to build back better, but they were the agency that was supposed to build back better. And so build back better is something that you think is a basic tenet of the Great Reset and we should do it. 
it will, it's a basic tenet of frankly emergency management because the levees will break again. And that's a very let me visual, you. literal example, but it's the same type of idea. Let you me look read at you the, another paragraph from this announcement. Clearly, sure. the will to build a better society does exist. We must use it to secure the great reset that we so badly need. That will require stronger and more effective governments, though this does not imply an ideological push for bigger ones, and it will demand private sector engagement every step of the way. So they're talking about stronger and more effective governments, which sounds to me like what you're talking about, the, the Army Corps of uh, Engineers being able to build back better, but clearly worried that people are going to interpret it as bigger, socialism, communism. Right. And, now here's, the, and here's the problem, right? Um, you get into the, 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 the reality that people are fallible and that better is subjective. So depending on who is in charge when Build Back Better gets implemented and what that person thinks better is, some people may be very, very unhappy. And that's the problem. And that is really the crux of the issue with the Great Reset. Many people are just to, resistant to change because in many cases, when you have this kind of rapid change and the right person isn't in charge, you get problems and you get serious mistakes. And there have been criticisms of that. And I understand that. Right. And it's just like another example, which I think is important just to get people our, our mindset around this. Um, we basically did not innovate in the public health sector since SARS. The, 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 the innovations that you would expect over 20 years, especially on pandemic planning, um, for all intents and purposes, basically did not happen. So why didn't we build back better after SARS? I don't know why. There wasn't the will for it, frankly. Uh, <laughs> this is the will. Let me read you another That's paragraph. part of it, right? This is part of it. Here's another paragraph. Rather than using these funds, we're talking about uh, uh, recovery funds, as well as investments from private entities and pension funds to fill cracks in the old system, we should use them to create a new one that is more resilient, equitable, and sustainable in the long run. This means, for example, building green urban infrastructure and creating incentives for industries to improve their track record on environmental, social, and governance metrics. Sounds to me like a Green New Deal. Sounds like the justification for dramatic climate change uh, investments that maybe the populace hasn't bought off on yet. Okay, well, here's an important question, and I think this will help explain the disaster management perspective on this. Because keep in mind, there's a lot of environmental scientists and hydrologists and meteorologists and et cetera in, in my field that report on you know when the hurricane is coming. So um, just for example, uh, do you think that if nothing is done in a hundred years, uh, at some point, some element of climate change, global warming, et cetera, is gonna have a huge adverse impact and is gonna kill a bunch of people. I happen to believe yes is the answer to that. Okay, so- but I don't I think can... the populace- no, 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 I get it, I get it, but you get, keep agree in mind- with that today and or are willing to spend huge amounts of money and are worried I that. that this great reset is gonna be a justification for spending money that people haven't bought off on yet. I get that, but most of my field, because we're looking at how the large event kills a bunch of people who sees the numbers, you know, we see the numbers, we see actually how more, much more frequent these things are getting exactly how they're, you know, extra, uh, how they're, um, how they're um, coming out the way the cascading failures occur. There, there is no doubt in our mind that if nothing is done around this with significant change, we're going to be dealing with a quite literal near apocalypse scenario. So if that is your hold way it, of- Hold it, hold it, hold it. If that is your way- No, 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 let me finish. If that is your way If that is your way of thinking, Brian- No, I'll, I'll answer it in a second. Just give me a sec. If that's the logic and way of thinking and belief, then it stands to reason that someone who views that as a risk is going to view the 
large systemic overhaul as necessary to save large amounts of human life, right? That, that's just following the logic here of the way we think. Does that make sense? Yeah, but- no, Not in general, but like the, the, the way our reasoning would be. Apocalypse coming? No, it's okay, Brian, come on. It's- That's the, look, that's the adjective you used. I know, I know I did. How do you interpret apocalypse? What's the, what's the definition? How many deaths have to happen for you to view it to be an apocalypse? So you think based on your experience and your understanding of climate change and what's going on, that this is what we're headed for if we don't take significant action in the near My entire field thinks this. So have you, have you been to an earthquake site or a hurricane site or after it's been at, like, have you, have you seen how Typhoon Haiyan turned a large part of the Philippines into a parking lot? I lived in Los Angeles during a hurricane and had- uh, So you know exactly what I I'm had, talking uh, about. My building shake and uh, saw block away buildings destroyed. So if you have a field that goes into these things all the time and sees time and time and time again, these, these things occurring, who looks at how they occur and says, we're on trajectory for these to be so frequent at such a point that they will be impossible to essentially respond to, we need to prevent them. When you look at another great example, um, Red River, Manitoba, you're aware? Yep. Okay, you know, you know that there was, a, there was a, like a, a more than billion dollar watershed management dam system that was put in that Red River to help mitigate flood risk for Manitoba? So anyways, there was, there was, um, within, was it? it was within five years for sure. Within five years, the dam had almost had had almost paid for itself over ten times. This is to, this is to explain the 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 value in basically pay me now or pay me later. The the value in you're going to spend one dollar now mitigating to save ten dollars picking up the bodies when it's all over if you didn't mitigate. That type of logic is how my industry operates. So when you see global warming and if you think it's a fraction of the risk of what it is, there's no sensible reason from my industry's perspective to not basically over. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Call every infrastructure you can conceivably do. The, the, like why we're not pushing even harder to, to train half of our population to be tradespeople is beyond me. Like, frankly, it's, it's, it, you make, it's already really good to be a tradesperson in this country. So why aren't more people doing it? But like, but like we should be building rapidly across the entire world. Basically my, my field's perspective. So, so, so governments are going to be spending some amounts of money to try to stimulate the economy coming out of, uh, this recession created by the pandemic. And uh, and what you're arguing for, what the Great Reset is arguing for is that that money be spent primarily on infrastructure, but that infrastructure that is responsive to the to the green agenda, to the climate change issues uh, that you're speaking of. Well, depending on the green agenda, because the green agenda is sticky. I mean, there's, there's a lot of problems with, depending on who you're talking about the green agenda, it gets, it gets the, the overall risk reduction, um, stopping, um, uh, stopping um, catastrophic event 
uh, with something that still, you know, pays itself, pays for itself pretty rapidly agenda, I think is fine. The, the overall green agenda is once again, a fairly umbrella term catch all with a lot of things under it, a lot of it, which actually is counterproductive and doesn't work. So that's another conversation, but it, it depends, but in general, sure. We're chatting tonight with Alex Vesna, CEO of Prepared Canada, about uh, curfews, um, the pandemic, uh, what we should do, and also about some people's answer, which is the Great Reset. We're going to take a break and come back more with Alex in just a minute. Stay with us. Stream us live at saga960am.ca. Welcome back. Brian Crumby, Radio Hour, Saga 960. Uh, guest tonight is Alex Vesna, the CEO of Prepared Canada. Um, I've checked in with Alex uh, a few times now. The guy is, uh, is pretty uh, smart in emergency preparedness. He's up to date on almost everything to do with uh, COVID-19 and the pandemic and the response. Um, he has got a, a master's in emergency preparedness. Uh, he's the CEO of a company that advises companies and organizations on how to uh, respond to emergencies. We've talked about uh, the curfew, the potential, the curfews in Quebec and the potentials of curfews in Ontario. And I think, Alex, what you're saying is that um, unless we're willing to actually enforce the curfews, they could be counterproductive and so don't put them in place, um, which almost sounds like, uh, you know, the rule that we had as parents, which is unless you're willing to really uh, uh, enforce uh, the rules that you uh, provide your kids, don't bother giving them because then they'll learn to, uh, to uh, not adhere to them. Um, and then on the Great Reset, I tried to be a little bit provocative and, uh, and challenge you, uh, but you were very positive in, uh, in spending the money that's required uh, with the infrastructure monies that governments are going to be committing to get us out of this uh, pandemic-created uh, uh, recession on green infrastructure, climate change uh, uh, um, issues. So let me turn to the other big issue that I think uh, is around us today, which is the vaccine rollout. Um, and, uh, I, you know, we've been waiting for a long time for these vaccines. Um, that said, I think the vaccines have come faster uh, and have been approved faster than almost anyone uh, thought. But the rollout seems to be going, both in Canada and the United States, uh, incredibly slow. And yet we see in Israel and other places that the rollout's going very fast. What's going wrong with the rollout of the vaccines? Okay, um, two things really quick, just, just, to, just to be careful. First, um, uh, in general, with the green agenda thing, depends on how you define green, just to be clear. Um, and second thing, um, I wouldn't just go with, uh, with what you're saying for um, how we would uh, make parenting decisions. I would go further and say, it's the same thing as when you try to implement anything as a business or any organization. If you're going to implement it, make sure that you actually can, or you're just wasting your time and money. And frankly, wasting the time and money or resources ends up being counterproductive, period. And this works with anything that you would implement anywhere. Um, so just, just that in general, uh, sorry, back repeat your, 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 your question is what's vaccine going on rollout. with vaccines? What's, what's gone wrong with vaccine rollout? Okay. Well, as we said in the previous, uh, conversation, um, in, in our, in our, in our last talk, um, it's been, we're, we're, they're not being produced fast enough because this has been a technological marvel that basically just came online and you can only make them so fast. And no, this in, is in, in, in both Canada and the United States. We've distributed a whole bunch of vaccines that haven't been put in people's arms. Like 20% uh, in the United States of the vaccines that have been produced and distributed to the states have actually been injected in people's arms. Yeah. I mean, this takes a while. 
So, I mean, it's been like a month and a half, maybe tops. Yeah. A month, half a month, like depending on, depending on, you know, if you were in the factory when it was being produced or not, like, so, so what, come on, like, like the logistical, the logistical marvel that this is going to take, you know how long it takes to distribute the flu vaccine and how few there are relatively speaking in comparison. Like the MMR vaccine for measles, mumps, rubella that's been out since I, I 63 or 65. I always mix them up. Um, like, come on. Are you like, are, are our expectations unrealistic or what? Like, come on. Well, I can't remember the exact numbers, but I think it's approximately in the United States. They promised uh, from uh, Operation uh, Warp Speed that they would have 20 million vaccines actually um, injected into people's arms by New Year's and there were only 2 million. So okay, it was well, 20 people in power target. make claims all the time that aren't realistic, but like, like just let's think about that. Like we can put the- You're telling me, calm down, Brian, it's just gonna take time to get the rollout working. Uh, you know, well, I mean, I'm not telling you because we're telling everybody, but 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 in general, um, you know, I mean, you can't, it's, it's kind of calmed down, but kind of not because I don't want to, um, I don't want to, uh, minimize the impact on people. And I don't want to minimize the reality that this is going to be until, you know, September plus, and that that is going to destroy some people's livelihoods, period, full stop. So I'm not just, it's not just calm down to be fair here. Um, but in general, the decision makers make unrealistic dream goals because they don't fully appreciate and listen to what their advisors are saying all the time. And, you know, let's, let's step back in reality a bit here and go, yeah, this is probably a bit difficult. 20 million vaccines by when did they say they wanted it by New Year's day in the United okay. States. And they now, were, and they were distributed okay. to the States, but they just sure. weren't, uh, weren't put in people's arms. Okay. So we're talking based on when they started their distribution, which is after the 1st of December, you're talking about doing 20 million, in let, let's say 20 days, keep the math simple, right? So we're talking about doing a million a day. So let's magically think that they, they appeared at the clinics and, and the clinics had all the freezer capacity they needed to store them all, all at once. You're talking about doing a, a million a day across how many number of clinics in the United States with how many appointments needing to be made with how many people who can inject it? Like how many is, is, is 3% of our pop is 3% of our population healthcare workers or something? Like, like, come on, like, come on, logistically okay, so, impossible. So, so we've what? got, so we've got, um, we could either do the numbers in Canada or the United States, but let's do it in the United sure, States, exactly. like 300 million people. Um, sure. You think that uh, what, between 60 and 80% of the population have got to be uh, vaccinated for, um, for uh, herd immunity? Uh, people are generally agreeing 70 plus and it's okay, not, so and it's not, and it's not, and it's, here, and it's not herd immunity. It's not herd immunity. Okay. That, that's not the argument. And it's the same thing that I've, I've talked with you about on the, on the Sweden issue. It's not about herd immunity. It's about once you're at a reasonable capacity for people who will probably not die from it. So you can let it spread through your population and kill less because we have not determined that having the vaccine stops you from getting it and spreading it. We have just reasonably determined that having the vaccine stops you from dying from it. So once everyone who wants the vaccine has it, and because the people who aren't gonna take it aren't gonna take it, we've protected the people basically who don't wanna die from COVID and then you let it spread and everybody catches it anyways, but now people don't die from it because they're immunized. That's, it's very different from herd immunity strategically. 
it still has the end game of it spreads through your whole population. With herd immunity, when someone catches it because the other person got it, they don't create a chain reaction because they don't catch it. Do you see what I mean as the difference? Yeah, I mean, yeah that's interesting. I, I had thought that the vaccine stops you from spreading it. I no, that has realized, not been confirmed and that is not the strategy. I, ha I hadn't realized that what you're saying is it actually doesn't stop you getting infected and spreading it. It just stops you, stops you from dying you from it. infected from dying from it. Yes. For, for, from what we're seeing, we are not sure if you can have someone who's not vaccinated, give it to someone who is vaccinated, who gives it to someone who is vaccinated, who gives it to someone who is not vaccinated, who dies. It is still possible for it to spread through. It's just if everyone who wants it has it and is vaccinated, you don't die from it, at which point you just let the thing spread. Okay. Well, that's this the, makes, that's, that's this makes my analysis uh, more complicated and worse, but still, let's assume yeah. that to get to the uh, target that you want, you need 200 people, 200 million people vaccinated. Uh, probably more than that, given uh, what you're currently saying, but, but uh, two thirds of the 66% uh, of the US would be uh, 200 million. So we've got a million people a day, you're saying is a challenge, but if we achieved a million people a day, that would take 200 days. And so we would be two thirds of a year, we would be September before we get anything. And that's assuming we can get up to a million people a day. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, Ontario has that problem right now where it needs to be the, what's the number? I, I'm gonna be wrong on this number, but it's an approximation. Um, we need to be at something like 60,000 a day in Ontario to uh, hit our targets. And, what are and we, we need to be at that like weeks ago. And what are we at? Uh, lower. I, I, don't, I honestly don't remember. I'm, I'm, I'm bogged down in numbers. We're significantly lower. Um, more than a factor of 10 lower, significantly lower. So uh, it, regardless, the, the point is that, well, we, we're, we're, we're using the, we're immunizing faster than we're getting them, which is good because at least we're, you know, the, the, we're, our pro if, if your backlog is production from the company that's, that's working miracles, you have um, margin of error to improve on your logistics. If you're getting them faster than you can distribute them, then you need to buy more freezers. So it's, it's, it's a good problem to have if you're going to have a problem. But regardless, the point is we need to be doing it faster. And there's a question as to whether it is practical or possible. And I don't really fault the government for this. I fault the government in, to some degree for giving people an unrealistic expectation when they do, which they do rarely. They've been pretty good about saying, look, this is going to be till September plus. And they put the plus in there. <laughs> so fair enough. Right. But, you know, it's not going to be over in May. Like it's okay, just so not. so you're you're telling me to calm down and not get worried about uh, the rate of vaccination, which I was worried was too low, and I was worried that we hadn't thought through this uh, this distribution and inoculation uh, process as well as we could have and should have, because we have we frankly have been we we've had nine months to maybe six months to uh, plan um, how we're going to get the inoculations done. And we do do it every year, albeit in a smaller scale with maybe a bit more time on the flu vaccine. And so we should have the process down. Um, that said, uh, what about, um, what about um, reopening? You've been, uh, you've been someone that has argued uh, that uh, by some of the closures, what we've done is we've concentrated people in fewer spots and we've increased the potential for, um, for infection spreading. Um, what do you think we should be doing now? Uh, depends, right? So once again, I have, I, I've argued for and against reopening, depending on the context of what you're doing. So um, 
you know, as stated previously, if we're going to go to the extreme what of what is necessary to essentially cure the common cold and remove virtually every disease that needs to transmit, um, you know, once a month to survive from our population. Um, if we're going to do the military lockdown thing, then we shouldn't reopen because we can just get, you know, just eliminate a huge number of diseases, especially specifically respiratory ones from our population in a month, two months. However, logistically, it's apparent that we can't do that. So given that, I don't want us to take any measures that are counterproductive. If it's something that people would listen to, great. We should probably do that. But people aren't listening. So on that note, um, I get forced into basically the, the logical conclusion of we need to reopen to the degree at which people will then behave. And behave is quite an ask, given that many people are uh, really, really tired and hey, hey, you please behave when it feels unjust, doesn't tend to go over well, and doesn't tend to frankly respect the public. So it's, it's, it's a tough conversation, um, to say the least. I think that virtually every industry should be open with some sort of with some sort of restriction. What we haven't done, frankly, and we need to do if you want to get down into the specifics, is we haven't really engaged Canadian Standards Association. We haven't put industry groups together represent uh, representing uh, forward-thinking, leading businesses in every sector, and we haven't written um, pandemic plans that have been rolled out towards uh, rolled out towards these whole industries. I've actually written these already with several industries, and they're ready to go through the CSA and become 20 years almost of pandemic innovation, um, basically overnight. But the government just isn't listening anymore because it's been it's been you know 10 months. Everyone's tired. Uh, they're spending 99% of their resources on vaccine rollout, which it's a tough problem. It makes sense. And we've kind of hit a, we've kind of hit a, uh, an, an impasse, but engaging the private sector that wants to help you open up safer that people will listen to will work better than what we're doing now. It won't work as well as military lockdown, but we can't do that. So engaging the private sector and opening up in a safer manner, you think actually makes sense? Well, they'll listen if there's an avenue. If you don't give them any recourse, then it strategically makes sense to basically close your doors and wait until it's time to reopen again. You know, just do, do your bankruptcy, close up, buy a new location, and then do nothing for pandemic innovation, which means we've learned nothing. So I had a uh, infectious disease expert on my show and, uh, and he said that a mask on, on two different people, uh, so both on the person with the virus as well as the, the person uh, that uh, uh, is not infected as of yet, and six feet of distance uh, is as good as a vaccine. And he said, so we've been waiting all this time for a vaccine, but we're going to spend billions of dollars and wait nine months to uh, put in place something that frankly was, was, is within our control right now. If only everyone would wear a mask and stay minimum of six feet apart. And he said, and if I'm at all wrong, Take it to nine feet, and for sure, you've got something as powerful as a vaccine. Okay, once again, I mean, we talked about this before, and that's that was a bit of a a context thing. But look, if you do that, you have Japan. 
Okay, that's basically what you have. You have that plus people washing their hands and calling out people who um, who are uh, disobeying public health orders. You you get Japan. That's what you get. And Japan's so, one of the best responses in the world. Look at their numbers. They're getting hit like everybody right now. So, but they're not as they're not as bad as us. But you have Japan. But here's the problem. Now you have to overhaul Canada's culture to make it Japan. How would you like to do that? You're saying, and even though my answer is simplistic, it's never going to be accepted by the Canadian culture. Well, no, 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 no. It's not about it. It's not about whether or not it will be accepted. It's about what is required to get it accepted. We're talking about a cultural overhaul. This goes into Great Reset territory again. You're you would have to effectively restructure your society, which is a individualist one, into a more so communal one. That is a significant undertaking and on a, on a short timetable would have to be using draconian force. That is quite the endeavor. And when I talk to epidemiologists and doctors and et cetera about this issue, and I say, okay, but how do we implement? Virtually every time I get some element of not my mandate, not my problem, or there, someone else can figure that out. And I go, okay, but wait a minute, time out. You just suggested this. I'm actually engaging you. How do we do that? You want to turn Canada into Japan? Fine. How? Give me some way so I can go to the various different agencies and we can talk about implementing your idea. But generally what happens is you go to a police agency, for example, and they go, oh, yeah, right, G20, I'm not doing that. So Biden is going to take office next Tuesday. And he said, 100 days, wear a mask. And that's going to be one of his big, has been one of his big appeals and will be one of his appeals in his inaugural address on Tuesday. Give me 100 days wearing a mask. You think it's going to fall flat? No, I actually think that'll help. But here's the thing. In their culture, in their situation, they just had the example of basically what not to do in a pandemic. And it has become... Um, politically incorrect, culturally incorrect. It has become when you have a really bad actor and everyone gets to point at that and say, yeah, I don't want to do that. Then the enemy is the person who isn't wearing the mask. So most of their country is democratic, not Republican. So there will be more people who will be like, I don't want to be like that guy. So in their case, in addition, they have some people rebelling, but they're going to have a lot of people, I'm going to kind of make up words here, counter-rebelling because of the bad example. So they've been messing up until this point, but now because of the stark contrast, it might actually work, which is interesting. Now, they're already a point of basically no return where they have one of the highest numbers in the world and people are dying in droves, so it's too late now. But the point is you'll probably see some level of control there because they have a reason to listen and because it's um, politically palatable for them to do so. You know, it's interesting. I had a conversation with someone last night over, uh, over dinner that um, may or may not be sort of similar to this argument you're making, which is I was arguing that it's actually helpful that some of these politicians have been found um, guilty of, uh, of yes. uh, going outside of the country for vacations because so many people have got up in arms that it's actually shown them that they're pissed off of people, particularly people with privilege, that think they can break the rules. And so more people have gone on the side of, and I'm proud I'm not breaking the rules in those blanks that uh, are breaking the rules should lose their jobs. Well, but there's still, in the case of people in power that just break the rules, but otherwise tell you to, so here's the difference. If someone tells you to do something and breaks the rules in one part, 
you know, you're happy that the enforcement happens. And the other part, um, it's kind of, well, I couldn't do that. What, uh, you know, WTF, I'm going to just, you know, go on vacation, do what I want to do. That's the first thing. In the case of the Americans, they had someone who was giving, was telling people basically not to follow rules. So it, it, there's a difference here. In one case, someone is still telling you to follow the rules and you're rebelling against that. And it's like, well, if they're not doing it, I'm not doing it. In the other case, um, the, the, you, have an, you have a glowing symbol example as to, I don't want to be like that guy. Like, what? That just seems ludicrous. I'm not doing that. And, it's, and it, it, people view it slightly differently. So the, there's, a, there's a lot of people in the, in the middle ground here that instead of going, um, you know, I'm not following the rules anymore, will go, thank whatever I believe in that, uh, the, you know, thank God that there are rules now. <laughs> you see, okay, you see so, what I mean? So Alex, uh, let's wrap it up. Um, sure. I think that uh, based on this conversation, number one, you think that the curfews and the, um, the strong lockdown would actually, from a public health standpoint, be the best strategy, but because we're not going to take the measures that we need to take to actually enforce it, it'll be counterproductive. And so therefore we shouldn't put curfews in place. Um, and then okay. second yep. of all, on the great reset, um, you think that uh, one of the failures of emergency preparedness or response in the past has been, we only fix it up. We don't improve it. Here is an opportunity to improve upon it. We got to do it anyway. Otherwise we'll have uh, a, uh, a catastrophe in a couple of decades. And so, yeah, this is the time to spend the money to really improve things as we come out of this uh, pandemic recession. In summary, for the second part, pay me a dollar now or a hundred later, you're paying me anyways, basically is the argument. It's a pay me now or pay me later argument. You can okay. improve now and spend the money or you're going to repair it five times and you're going to spend more money repairing it later. Okay. Pick one. And, and, and curfews? No, I, I agree with what you said on curfews. Yeah, that's that's good summary. So unless we're willing to enforce it with the military and put in place the uh, Emergency Measures Act, don't do it. Um, or if, unless there's another alternative that is realistic, which right now uh, we, we don't really see, right? But unless, unless it can be enforced, it's basically counterproductive at this point because people are so tired. Well, thank you, Alex uh, Vesna, CEO of Prepared Canada, for joining us again tonight. Really appreciate it. Uh, let me end up with my answer. My answer is uh, if you're out in public, uh, particularly if you're inside a store or office or, uh, or anywhere else, wear a mask. Like it's just such an easy solution uh, that's going to stop so much of the problem uh, and, and stay six feet away from people. Um, if you're walking down an aisle in a store, like just don't brush by them, stay six feet away, um, wash your hands, don't cough on people, sneeze on people. If you're sick or have any symptoms, stay home. And um, to the extent possible, don't go to any event where you'll see other people. Just, just stay home and read a book. Enjoy yourself for a while. Anyway, that's the Brian Crumby Radio Hour for tonight. Alex Vesna, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Good night, everybody. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on saga960am.ca.